Welcome to the Basilea Hollywood Podcast, a community of friends committed to the message and practice of Jesus and His Kingdom. Everyone, this is Janelle, and if you don't know Janelle, she is a strong, vibrant, beautiful woman. And she's going to teach us today, so I'm going to pray for you. Um, Lord Jesus, thank you for Janelle. Thank you for her voice. God, I just, I just bless her voice right now, Lord. Lord, oh, thank you that you use us in mysterious and miraculous ways. Lord, speak to us today. Speak to Nellie. Unite us. Thank you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. Hey, guys. Thanks for being here. It's nice to see everybody. We have such a sweet family. <laughs> so we are, um, if you weren't here last week, we are transitioning, we're just taking a, a short break from Matthew, and we're diving actually into the Gospel of John, specifically to look at the I am statements of Jesus. We're going to come back to Matthew, so don't worry. But we're looking at the I am statements of Jesus for a very specific purpose, to fall more in love with Jesus and understand the character of God. So we're going to be in John 10 today, so if you have a Bible or if you need a Bible, I'm going to uh, pass one out to you or grab, it, grab your Bible on your smartphone. It'll also be up here. Uh, I'll put these over here if you want them. <clears throat> and then turn with me to John 10. Let me pray one more time, if you don't mind. Jesus, we love you. We want to know you more. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to come, to illuminate the word so that we can know and love God more. <laughs> it's very simply, we want to know we want to understand with our minds and, our, and with our hearts, with our whole being, who you are and who we are. So illuminate Jesus today. It's his name we pray. Amen. So before we dive into this passage, I just want to give a quick intro, just sort of a, um, almost like a preface. So it's a real honor to be able to teach up here and to be able to share the word like from up front. And I have to say that it's been my prayer even just the last couple of years that God would personally for me stir my hunger for the word because I felt like in my life with Jesus, my hunger for the word has kind of gone like this. And I don't know if that's commensurate with moving to Los Angeles with the distractions of the city no, um, 
I'm not making excuses. I've just noticed this in my life. And I, I, I can't speak for everyone, but um, I feel like as a family, like God, it's, this isn't just for me, but God's actually wanting to stir our hunger for the word more. And one thing that's been very sweet for me, just very tangibly, is um, being with other people and studying the word together. Because if you want to be hungry, you're not going to hang around fast food joints. You're going to hang around the places where there's actually like a feast of delicious food that people are enjoying. It's going to make you more hungry, right? So one of the things that's been really fun is that on Wednesday mornings, there's a been a group of, uh, just a small group of us that meet before work, and we've been studying the book of Hosea together. We met for 10 weeks. We're just finishing up. And I can't tell you how much this has stirred my hunger for more of God and more of the word. And it's really sweet. It's nothing that I did. It's sort of just hearing, um, hearing how Alicia processes the word and how our friend Adua processes the word and Lainey and um, Corey especially. And um, that's just a quick plug that if you're not studying the word with a friend, even if it's just one other person, do it. <laughs> you don't have to be a Bible scholar to study the Bible together. So that's just a quick encouragement. So let's dive into this passage together. We're going to be looking at Jesus as the gate or the door in some translations in John 10. Let's read this aloud together. This is Jesus speaking. Very truly, I tell you, read aloud with me. Anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So again, Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Amen. So I don't know about you, but um, this is a fairly familiar passage to me. It sits right in uh, the rest of John 10 talks about Jesus as the good shepherd. I'm actually going to speak about that in a couple of weeks. It'll kind of be a continuation. But this is fairly familiar to me, but most of my life I've just sort of skipped over it and gotten to the I'm the good shepherd part because honestly that's a little bit easier for us to understand. But I think there's something for us here. And I think that's something maybe has to, we have to push a little bit further to try to understand what God's saying to us. So first of all, let's think about the major players in this passage. So very simply, we have, who are the characters? Yell it out for me. We have the thieves. Who else do we have? 
The sheep, good. We have a shepherd. And then what else? The gate, good. So we have essentially three or four, three or four characters. <clears throat> now, in order for us to understand where we fit in this, we have to sort of imagine ourselves as livestock, okay? And this is a little bit tricky for us because we don't live in a nomadic culture. We don't necessarily have farms all over the place. This would have been a little bit more normal for the hearers of this originally around 2,000 years ago, right? So what I'm going to do is show you a very qu quick clip of what sheep look like and give you, a, just so you can start to imagine what sheep are like in real life. <laughs> okay, Bill, you can cut it. That's pretty much it. So what are some things you notice about sheep just from this very short clip? Just throw it out. They're not smart. They jump like rabbits. What else? Come on, we're a family here. We're, we can shout it out. There's no wrong answer. They're playful. They like to chase. What else? They're a little aggressive. They're a little stubborn. What's going on with the dog there? Running from and chasing after. They're not really sure where they're going. Okay, good. Well, just this past week, this is actually not even planned um, with this sermon, but I got to go to this place called Amy's Farm. I think we have a picture of it. Amy's Farm is out in uh, Ontario, not Canada, California. Still feels really far away with traffic. Um, at Amy's Farm, I went there with um, friend, some friends of mine who have little ones, and uh, they basically have like a petting zoo where you can go inside and actually pet the sheep, pet the goats. And when I was there, the, the area where the sheep and the goats were, you could actually go inside their goats so they're a little less crazy versus sheep, and you can actually pet them. The funny thing about goats is they try to eat your clothes. They can't hurt you, but they literally walk up and they start eating your clothes. <clears throat> but there was a sign on the gate to get into where the, the sheep and the goats were that said, beware, if you don't shut the gate, you'll be chasing the goats. And it was very simple, but I remember looking at it going, hmm, okay. And there was a gatekeeper there. He's this nice little lady, probably Amy, I don't know. And as I was preparing for this sermon, I thought, that's really interesting. I haven't been to a farm in approximately like 20 years, but the, the week that I'm actually speaking on Jesus the gate, I actually walked through a gate that was stopping and protecting the sheep and the goats from running out. I thought that's kind of interesting. So here's the thing, guys. Let's go back to the passage. There's a couple things going on here in John 10. We have Jesus trying to illustrate who he is right? And he's in the midst of explaining to very religious people and very spiritually hungry people who God is and what God is like. And people don't really know what to do with him, right? So he says a couple things. He basically says, anyone who enters, a, everyone, anyone who enters into the sheepfold without going through the gate, is a thief, okay? So it's really simple. You have to enter in through the gate. And if you don't, you're doing things the wrong way. You're dangerous. But Jesus says, the sheep will trust the shepherd, and the sheep know his voice. Now, this is going to get a little, I like to say, meta 
because Jesus isn't afraid to be calling himself two different things at the same time. So you have to, you have to follow here. He's both the shepherd and he's also the gate in this, in this scenario. It's okay. It's progressive, right? He's the, he's the gate for us, but then he, he's the protector, and then he moves on to actually be our leader, and we'll get to that in further weeks. So Jesus paints the picture of himself as the one who opens and closes the door for his sheep, right? Now, for me, I've always understood this passage in the sort of grand, um, overarching, sort of obvious way. Jesus is our entrance to eternal life with the Father, right? We can't know God apart from Jesus, But as I was wrestling with this passage, as I was wrestling with the word, I kept saying to God, I know there's more here. What is going on? I know that I know that the kingdom is both now and not yet. So what is what is it that you have to teach us now about your character when we think about Jesus as the gate or Jesus as a door? Right? So I got a little stuck. Honestly, I I felt like I was getting somewhere, but I couldn't really figure it out. So I felt like the Lord said, well, you're a poet. Why don't you, why don't you try to write a poem about it? And so now I'm going to share my really bad poem with you about this because I, if it helped me kind of get somewhere. So I just wrote, okay, things a door does, or I am the door for the sheep. This is really just me brainstorming in the way that God made me, right? So a door pushes and pulls as a border, protects the interior like a movable skin, not quite a barrier, more like a filter, tonsils grabbing a virus before walking in, fortifies a space with entry and exit. Everyone has to handle the door. Hands. Hospitality as a natural extension, a welcome mat sets outside. Maybe it's most like a membrane or net, catching and releasing as a reflex. Or maybe as a screen, a catch-all, a covering, standing up, taking the first hit sacrificial, a real lover, laying it all on the line. And I started thinking, if I'm like a sheep and I'm really prone to wander, if I'm like a sheep and my thoughts are really prone to wander, what are the thieves that are kind of getting in What's sneaking in, trying to speak to my identity and tell me who I am? Because we are prone to wander, just like the children of Israel. The whole history, we can't read the New Testament without the Old. The whole history of the Old Testament speaks to the reality of how prone we are to wander. and Forget who we are. We're prone to wander, but just like the children of Israel, we're prone to wander like the children of Israel, but Jesus lives to be our gate. What does it mean for Jesus to live to be our gate? I think it means that he lives to almost be a filter for us. Because if you think about it, a gate, what is a gate like? It's not it's not a wall. It's not immovable. It opens and it shuts, right? It catches and it releases. For some reason, I got the image of a tonsil when I was writing because the tonsils grab 
nasty stuff before it goes down into our system. The same way the skin blocks hazardous things, lets some things in, but not others. This is really what Jesus does, both in a magnificent way, a, a macro way, and then in a micro way in our lives. And then I thought, if this is true, am I doing a very good job of letting Jesus be the gate in my life? <laughs> and I started praying because I'm really convinced that God loves it when we actually talk to him with scripture. I started asking him, God, show me how you can be a gate in my life. How can you be a gate for my thought life? Because it says in John 10, at the very end of this passage, it says that he came to bring us not just life, but abundant life, right? Abundant life. That's why the vision of Basileia is to partner with God as he restores wholeness to all things. Wholeness is abundance. But I know that I'm not living in wholeness in all areas of my life. I want to be. <laughs> so maybe the gate is a filter. Maybe Jesus is like a holy filter for us. So as I've prayed... And as God's just been sweet and merciful to me, one area in my life, if I'm just going to be really honest and vulnerable, where I feel like I'm prone to wander is trying to understand my identity on a very simple, like, base level as a woman, right? And I think we live in a culture that's extremely confusing for women. We're not really sure if we're supposed to be super sexy or not too sexy or watch out. We're, we're kind of defined by what we look like. And I'm constantly bringing this to the Lord not as much as I would like, but this passage has actually really helped me because I've realized God has been very, been very merciful to me even in the last month as I've been struggling with him saying, what does it really mean to be a woman? How have you, how have you made me specific, right? Especially because I've been single for many years and so I haven't had my life defined by a relationship, right? Even though I really long to be married. So there's lots of things I struggle with here. Well, here's where Jesus himself has been a holy filter to me without even, sometimes it's like God answers prayers that we're not asking. Just in the last month or so, I felt like the Lord said to my spirit, don't forget you're an athlete. And it reawoke something in me where as a kid, sort of all growing up, all I did was play sports, right? And this has helped through making tiny changes in my life since it feels like the Lord has filtered some negative thoughts out and instead put a gate up and said, here's who you are. You're an athlete. This has actually changed the way that I'm living my life. It changes the things I eat, changes the things I drink. Sometimes I say no to the glass of wine that I want because I'm like, no, I'm an athlete. I'm training for that marathon in May. I'm not ready for it now, but I will be. And I see this on a very base, like simple level as an example of how this passage actually has meaning for us in the now. Like, yes, we can only get to eternal life. We can only receive abundant, whole, eternal life with God through Jesus. He is our gate. But for the now, what does this mean? And since we're prone to wander, 
We need a holy filter. I've been really blown away by uh, studying Hosea, like I said, with our little group. At the very end of Hosea, it's a very short book, 14 chapters. You could read it in 30 minutes, I promise you. The very end of Hosea, chapter 14, there's this really interesting line that I kind of think is the thesis of the whole book. But it says that he heals all our disloyalties. And this is the epitome of who Jesus is in this passage. He is the one who, as the gate, is able to straighten us out and heal all the ways that we wander, all the ways that we're not loyal to him, all the ways we're unfaithful to who God made us to be, right? But we need him in order to actually get straightened out, to actually hear who we are and know who we are. We need him in a very, very specific way. And I think it boils down to this one thing. As sheep, we have to, one, we have to hear his voice. So we actually have to take the time to listen. Now, how can you be sure you're hearing his voice? Well, one, you can do it in community. You can make sure you get with a community group or with a friend who's following Jesus and ask for help. Say, here's what I think God's saying. Does this make sense? You can also hear his voice by getting to know his voice in the written word. I guarantee you, I guarantee you the more you read of scripture, the more you'll become comfortable knowing, oh yeah, that sounds like God's voice versus counterfeit voices which sometimes are just kind of in our head. Sometimes it's outside. So in, in John chapter 10, the sheep hear his voice. You can go ahead and flip to the next one, Bill. Not only do they hear his voice, but they follow him because they recognize his voice. So this is massive, Right? Because we're prone to wander, Jesus is the perfect filter. We follow him because we recognize his voice as him. I'm so grateful that we have a family in Basilea community where we actively try to work on this together. Because it really does take practice to recognize the voice of the Lord. Honestly, it's not easy. It's really easy to be confused. <laughs> but as we practice getting to know what God's voice sounds like, and we can confirm it in community, and as we can pray for each other and actually speak true things to each other, this is going to become like second nature to us, guys. So what's the last thing in John 10? We hear his voice, we follow him, because we recognize him, his voice, and then we run from counterfeit voices. This is what it says in the passage, literally. And in a very practical way, we actually need each other to know how to do this. We need each other to know, no, that's actually, that's not helpful for you. That thing that you keep hearing, that's actually not the Lord. <laughs> That sounds like 
the voice of a thief, like something's trying to steal from you. Because we do have an enemy. And we recognize sometimes it's very easy to overlook the fact that we have an enemy, but we do recognize the difference between living an abundant life and the times that we're not, right? Because there's pretty clear pictures of it. For me, the areas of my life where I'm not living in abundance, they're characterized by a few things. Anxiety, fear, confusion. What else? Depression. And I'm not, I'm not underscoring. Here's the thing. If any of us are dealing with depression and mental health issues, we also need therapy, okay? We need Jesus and professional help, I believe. <laughs> and it's, there's no reason that we should have one without the other. But for me, and I've actively sought those things out in my life too, all of these things are um, signposts where I'm not living in the fullness of abundance. I'm, not, I'm still on a journey towards wholeness. And these are the areas where I specifically need help. I specifically need God to speak so that I can hear his voice, so I can know how to actually change course and move in a different direction. Because sometimes we're just stuck in habits we don't even realize. And even when we're, I would imagine when we're married even, we're stuck in habits. We're stuck in relational habits we can't even see till we invite someone outside of our marriage to come and say, what do you see here? I don't know where that came from, so if that's you in a marriage, <laughs> go for it. Invite someone in to speak to the vulnerable places. Here's one place where I have learned this is um, the need to listen and run from counterfeit voices is actually really necessary in community. So here's just a very quick side note story. So. I noticed, I, I noticed just in the last month, the Lord was saying, you're an athlete. Why are you neglecting this part of your identity? And so I actually knew I needed some serious accountability to actually take this seriously and make some changes in my life. And it had to go beyond just like paying $100 to register for a race because you cannot show up to those races, and I've done that. <laughs> so I actually I got this app on my phone, and I paid some money. The app is called StepBet. And I committed to, for six weeks, taking like three times the number of steps than I had previously. And it registers on my phone, so there's no hiding, because my phone knows, right? And in this StepBet, I was basically committing to running and walking a lot more, to increasing my activity level every week, right? trying to regain my athletic self slowly by slowly. So six weeks, I come to the very end of that period, and I have three days to go, and I have a really long day at work, really long day, and I come home and realize I still need three more miles. And I decide in my heart, I'm, I'm good, I don't need to win this. I don't need to, I don't need to follow this thing to completion. And I said to Alicia, my housemate, dear friend, 
I told her that I was giving up, and she looked at me and said, no, you're not giving up, you have three more days. And I gave her all these excuses and told her why I wasn't gonna have time to do it, and I didn't have the energy, and it was gonna be, it had already done its work. I made up all these excuses. And she literally said no, and she made me go out. She went with me and walked essentially three more miles around our neighborhood, and we talked and caught up. And I came home, I was so grateful, and I thought, that's such a metaphor for life. It's such a metaphor for how we need each other. It's such a metaphor for how we actually need each other to hold ourselves accountable to what God has said and do it. So it means we have to actually be vulnerable and say, here's what I think God is saying to me. Will you help me? Because if Jesus is restoring wholeness to all things, we have to participate in that with each other. And as we step out, and as we allow and invite Jesus to be the holy filter, to be the gate, we can ask each other very pointedly, so where do you need Jesus to be a gate? And I'm inviting us, I'm just throwing this out there, that over this next week or two or three, ask each other and be willing to, to actually tell the truth when you're asked. Where do you need Jesus to be the gate? Where do you need Jesus to be a holy filter? Where are we prone to wander? Because we've all let the thief in inadvertently, somewhere in our life. He will, he will help us, Wendy, because he is faithful. So let's bring uh, Josiah back up. We're gonna worship a little bit more. And as we worship, I'm gonna invite the Holy Spirit to highlight, if he hasn't already, the places in our life where we, we need Jesus to be a filter actively. We need him to be a gate. We need him to open and close Maybe open us up to more freedom or close and give us more boundaries where we've been wandering off. I can't tell you what part of your life this might be. But I really believe he's going to walk us into more wholeness together. So why don't you stand as we worship. I'm going to invite us even to open up our hands and to pray very specifically right now. Why don't you open your hands with me if you, don't, if you don't mind. And we say, come Holy Spirit. Just say that with me. Come Holy Spirit. And pray this with me. Show us where we have wandered. Show us where we have wandered, God. I also want to, I just want to bless us with holy boldness to be honest with one another, to, to stop pretending, because we all bleed. 